Welcome to episode 11 of My Dog Will Eat My Face. In this episode, I want to try to explore something that's probably deeper than I can go in one podcast. But it's something that I struggle with, honestly, day to day. And I bet other people that are in a similar position deal with the same. Essentially, how does one live well when suffering? Say, from congestive heart failure. Just an example that comes to head. <laughs> anyway, um, all the best writers and many of the best philosophers say to live today, as, as the Roman Horace once said, uh, but how do you live today when today is full of suffering and disease? Sure, it works well, I think, on a macro scale. Uh, living today for the next day, where the next day could get better, is, is certainly a way to live one's life, and I think that's apparent to almost everyone. But when you're living day to day not knowing if the next day will be better and most likely will be the same or worse, and it's in the twilight of your life, how does one live well and handle that in a way to where I don't know that might be somewhat compliant to Horace's grand scheme the more deviant saying by Hegel is the owl of Minerva takes flight only at night and Hitchens my most favorite author again said the moment of near despair is quite often the moment that precedes courage rather rather than resignation excuse me I cling to these sayings hoping for truth but I admit the struggle with finding truth to this is difficult it's difficult for the same reasons that I said before, once the twilight of your life, it's very difficult to see the next day as doing well. I think Hitchens, in, in that example, in fact, had the best lot of it. His favorite things in life, I've read, were to read and write. And probably third of that to speak. And up only to the very end of his life could he do all three. He just, only towards the end of his life was speech a, a real problem. But to the very end, in his hospital room even, the, the day he died, he was reading and writing and reading and writing. Uh, if you pick up his book, Mortality, it will reflect this. It was a book that he started 
when he was sick with his cancer. And it's so crushing because in the beginning, it's well poised and well formulated. But as time goes on, it kind of dwindles into rubbish and and a mix of words and emotions that might make some sense individually, but when combined, they struggle to make any sense. And other things like that. You see the language and the ability to create a sound statement or argument decline. And that's just... That's just crushing. You you actually see in firsthand in that book a writer die. You see him slowly die. Um, again, the name of the book is Mortality. His his wife actually published it after his death. But anyway, my point is is that he had he had the best luck. <laughs> his favorite things were reading and writing and speaking and he could do those to just about the very end of his life the only again the the only thing he had issues with were speaking at the very end and my favorite things which have been travel uh, fine dining going to nice restaurants and learning things um some of these things are more troubling than others to continue when I'm sick and when I'm trying to live through life. So through this podcast, I'm going to try to explore how I've adapted all of these elements. And, you know, we'll see if they're any good or not. <laughs> But uh, my goal is is to just kind of explore to the open judgment of the dear listener how I've adapted and uh, just dig at this gnaw that I have of how does one how does one adapt to those great sayings by those great authors and philosophers when the next day could very well be their last. So first off in this podcast, I know that, well, in previous podcasts, I've listed my favorite things. And again, those are probably travel, food, and languages. But I did exclude one thing, and I did because I think it's rather ubiquitous and uh, expected amongst all people. And that's just love and companionship. So I'm lucky enough that I do still see friends and those are always pleasant visits they are kind enough to 
come and visit me in my apartment because they know I'm pretty well stuck here. But the emotional role actually of my dog, of all things, has really increased and provided me, I would say, with strength, love, and hope more than anyone else. And I know it sounds cliche, oh, it's a dog, but it's absolutely true in this case. And you know what, I bet it's true in probably every case people testify to it, frankly. And you know what's funny is when I first got him, I didn't even plan to own the dog. I got him as a puppy Christmas gift for my ex. He was just part of this uh, cute little Christmas surprise thing that I did for someone who I was with at the time. And I didn't even intend to, like I said, to have him in my home and raise him. The dog, not my ex. (laughs) The problem was, though, that my ex couldn't really raise a puppy (laughs) in, in, in their current home. And so I got stuck with the dog. And, you know, this was not a well-thought-out gift at the time. I basically ended up stuck with a puppy. And I'm one of those kinds of persons who is very orderly and well-kept in my home. And I know that's probably not shocking to a lot of listeners based on what you've heard of me so far. But... Be that as it may, I'll I'll certainly say that there is nothing that can destroy that more than a puppy. Because they will come in and they will tear up your furniture and then pee on it. And then when they're done, they'll tear it up some more. (laughs) And that's what exactly happened to me. And it it was awful at first. I, I seriously almost gave him up and and sold him on Craigslist or something. Uh, But actually, my mom talked me out of it uh, a couple times. And and golly, I'm thankful she did. Because it it totally turned around. And and we grew attached, and the love and attachment we grew for each other has just been intense so so much of my life now where I can't imagine life without him. And because of that, you know, I, I think that kind of bond can be foundational, especially in times when you're fighting an issue such as a, a fatal disease or even something else. It doesn't have to be that. It can be depression, I'm sure. And many other things that I don't need to mention. And with animals, you know, I think for some people, it's obviously not always a dog. It could be very well for some people. Well, I know very well for some people. It's their horse. Uh, For others, it's their bird. Brothers, it's their cat. Um, although I, I honestly hate cats. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but yeah, for me, honestly, it's it's been my little fluffy butt. 
Let me rephrase it. It's uh, not. I don't have a fluffy butt. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. That's just a name I call the dog. Really, I don't have a fluffy butt. But if I did, I'm sure I'd shave it anyway. Not that I actually think about that. Um, ugh. I'll, uh, I'll delete that from this recording later. Now, moving on, <laughs> the second thing that I have truly loved in life and, and still do is learning. And I think that I've had the good fortune wherein a lot of that experience in my life has been honestly through the workplace. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there with mind numbing, boring, and on-demanding jobs and gigs out there, and they do have my deepest, sincere sympathies, but frankly, I was lucky wherein my career of choice and my most recent job, in fact, of course, have been incredibly cognitively demanding and also required a lot of day-to-day learning. And let me explain that a little bit. Now, my career of the last, golly, 20-plus years has been an essentially the regulatory sort of compliance world. Uh, Basically, that's a weird way of saying it, but basically what I did was I worked in the law department at a lot of major companies where we had to comply with malformation, that's a good word for it, (laughs) of laws. throughout, uh, frankly, the United States and sometimes, obviously, the world. Um, These things obviously, well, perhaps not obviously, they often do not uh, relate to each other, they don't complement each other, and they contradict each other. So they can change, They're, they're very fluid, they're always changing. And there's also best practices, there's also policies. So basically I lived in a world of flux where I was really forced to constantly be able to seek out the information of the day with respect to what was new and what was changing to come to terms and understanding it and being able to communicate that and actually even enforce that through a large business unit. And that's not easy, as I'm sure it sounds. And frankly, I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, The cognitive demand, I don't think, is something that I can replace being away from work now. And that's just me being honest. I don't think I can expect that level of demand being on disability no matter how well 
I try to adapt. And what I will express here is just my adaptation. It's, it's, that's all what it is. It's, it's really not making it great, but it's making it better. And better is better, as they say. So I've had to find ways to learn on my own, so to speak, and, and try to keep that demand up and, and challenging to me on a day-to-day basis. And I've done that through a number of ways. I've done that, well, in one, in one way, I just joined a book club. That's pretty simple. And I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot more than I would otherwise probably do on my own uh, while on disability. And when I say, when I say that, I, I would always tell people as a joke in the past, I don't read for pleasure. I'm paid to read. <laughs> That's because every single day I was reading. <laughs> and I mean, to, like I said, dissect something and, and comprehend it and then re-communicate that in a way that made sense or, or, or uh, integrate that into something already existing in a way that made sense. So I, that's why... I joke that way with people, but now that I'm away from the office, so to speak, I I do read, and I just joined a book club, but I did have to leave it, actually, because it was just so expensive. However, I'm not too worried about it, because they sent me so much literature and reference material in just a year or so, that I don't think I'll ever catch up with the reading available to me now. So that, that was one way I've, I've tried to adapt. But honestly, another way too, it is, will sound silly, but hey, I love YouTube. I do a lot of that. <laughs> and I know a lot of people will shudder at that, but I just had this discussion today with a friend where we were making fun of some people's silly, um, shall we say, extraordinarily ignorant comments on Twitter. That's all that Twitter is. It's, it's, it's just a mosh pit. But anyway, we, we were just laughing and enjoying these people's stupidity, to be blunt. And he said at one point, it's because people believe everything they read on the internet. And I said, no, that's not true. <laughs> The venue has no difference whatsoever. Of course, there's me being argumentative <laughs> for no reason with a friend. But uh, it, I really mean that. The, the venue has, has no merit. It's, it, what matters is, is what you're watching on YouTube in this case. If you're watching stupid videos, then you're just only going to get stupid information. If you're trying to seek out information, maybe you get addicted to a documentary, documentaries, excuse me, like I know I have on YouTube, then maybe you learn a little bit. Sure, it's not a college course, but again, you know, hey, it helps. It helps get me through the day. Um, that's really, again, 
all what I'm sharing here is that I've really tried to still learn on a day-to-day basis through, again, reading, watching YouTube. It could be on television, well, I don't have television, but it could be Netflix or, you know, another videographic method. Again, I don't think the venue matters whatsoever. But what matters is that I still push myself to learn daily. And that's been very beneficial to my life. Third on this list is I'm actually a bit of a gamer. And I'm sure that might be kind of surprising in confluence with some of my other particularities that I've disclosed in this podcast and others, but it's certainly true. I've been into video games my whole life, ever since I was a little boy. I've been playing games, mostly PC games, I would say, and that's really what I'm into these days. I would, it's been that way probably now for honestly years and years it's not anything too new but uh, but the particular area that I like is building games where you get to construct something and I've always preferred that to just blowing things up I, I like to build I like to create and it really helps my creative side I think on a daily basis and it it really helps really to get a lot of I guess the cognitive juices blowing I would say if blowing wow <laughs> flowing is what I meant to say pardon me and um it, it it's definitely something that I don't even necessarily exercise alone, even though I, I always play my games and create things alone. I often create things and share them with others as a as a again a strong creative outlet. I've used Reddit for this in the past, uh, to a lot of uh uh, uh, relief, I guess, for lack of a better word. It, it's again, it's been it's been helpful for me on a day to day basis. Uh, but that's again, that's nothing new. I've I've always liked building things and trying to solve problems and trying to be creative and manifest things that are just coming from my mind. Now, back in the past, I even would draft design buildings for fun I I had a full drafting well I still have a full drafting table with all the accessories and pieces that you would find on any old drafting table so to speak uh, with the T square and uh, the F pencil and the H pencil and the H pencil moving onward and so on 
and my protractor and all that and it was all what I would do is I would mainly just have fun designing things and especially like I said buildings in my case no no surprise Roman buildings I I've actually tried to emulate verbatim Vitruvius's 10 books on architecture and building things and that was a lot of fun I, I think I rose to new geek levels by sharing that but <laughs> it's it's something that's important to me uh, in my life, and it, it helps a lot uh, for me when I'm struggling with this disease. I really enjoy getting my creative side going and and creating and building. And I, one area I've actually used in the past to share some of this, because I was just about to say sharing, is uh, Reddit amongst not just my friends and family, obviously, you know, I cram designs and things I built down their throats to show them. <laughs> like a 10 year old with this crayon drawing from, from school. But, uh, I've I've just used uh, game uh, subreddits and exchanged the designs and things there that are thoughtful and, and creative and hey stimulates honest to god discussion and feedback. Honestly, it it I find in some subreddits at least <laughs> again it, the venue does not matter. So I think some subreddits to be thoughtful and helpful. I don't think the venue matters. It it's where you go. <laughs> I don't go to our politics, let's say, or something stupid. You know, so let's let's say that. Um, but uh, yeah, I go, I go to the the gaming subreddits and share things, and that's great. And so, uh, you know that 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 really helps the other side. I don't I don't like to just create things and design things and it's just have me basically staring at them by myself with my nose up my finger my no my finger up my nose the other way would hurt the other way would hurt a lot so I don't do that but with rather instead yeah my nose up no my finger up my nose wow I almost did it twice Anyway, you can tell I'm working on a little sleep today. So, uh, yes, uh, gaming is something I've loved. And, hey, I will honestly recommend it if you get into that. That's something that I've used as a platform really to indulge my creative thought and really sharing it and uh, building other things and sharing them with others. So I, I do highly recommend that if you're into anything similar. And finally for me, uh, there's food. <laughs> I've always been a bit of a foodie in my life, and I've always 
really loved and still do love good food. Uh, lucky for me, frankly, my heart issues are not caused by anything that I acutely do whatsoever. It, it's not caused by anything I eat or drink. It's a, a congenital, I guess. Yay, lucky me. <laughs> that means that I guess uh, I don't have to, in any sense, adjust my eating behaviors in my final days. And Well, frankly, I don't think anyone should in their final days, but I guess I've never had to adjust what I eat ever, and I've been very lucky with that. And I've generally had a good metabolism and body that doesn't pack on fat, so... Anyway, food has been, yeah, a, de a definite uh, comfort for me my whole life. That's not, again, new. Uh, similar to, I guess, everything else on this list. But it's, it's something that's definitely helped me get through this day-to-day -day, uh, living and my day-to-day -day issues. And... I'm also lucky in other senses, at least with respect to food, because I do live in a big city, and I live in an area with a lot of diverse food, and I love diverse food. I mean, if you list my favorite foods, I mean, it's all over the map. I'll go from French food to Italian to Indian to uh, East Asian or at least Southeast Asian especially and uh, golly I, I, my, one of my favorite foods is a good vindaloo and that's a frankly a good mix of different genres I believe vindaloo comes from Goa in India was influenced heavily by the Portuguese there. So, hey, <laughs> no surprise. One of my favorite foods is is kind of transnational in its own right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I definitely love that. And, and, and again, lucky me, just in my building alone, there are four different restaurants in the building where I live, literally, there's four different restaurants on the first floor. Each one is a different variety of food. And same as so, just as well across the street. There's another four or so restaurants. Again, another four varieties. And so, yes, I, I'm very lucky that I do live in a place that I get to indulge this pleasure and you know for anyone else out there who hasn't really gotten into food I, I beg you to try it <laughs> to try to enjoy it uh, you know I've, I've certainly read studies uh, at least uh, you know compressed uh versions and, and, and descriptions of studies 
that found the pleasure center in the brain that is activated by food is the very same for procreation, so to speak. And it's just as intense. So uh, food is, is an incredible stimulant to the brain, whether you want to admit it or not. And I would say to anyone out there, my advice is to not exist on this earth without allowing your palate to enjoy its incredible senses and the variation that we are so lucky to have on this planet. So, to sum things up, what gives me hope? I guess that depends on what you mean, hope for what? I don't hope I'll live, because I won't. I do hope I at least use what I can use here in my life and enjoy what I can. I honestly don't think everything in moderation is good advice. I've gone downright indulgent many times and lived to regret very little. Now, these experiences created some of my best memories and helped to form and articulate my greatest wishes as well. So, I don't know if I fully know the answer on how to live well while suffering. Great ending flop of a podcast, right? To end with merely just, I don't know. But actually, it's because I only know how to live well for me. And... For those pieces I can still exercise, I do. I recommend others do the same. I just don't think anyone will look back on their life and say, golly, I wish I didn't take that time to pursue that which gave me joy or pleasure or comfort or companionship. Insert your word here and and just take the time to pursue that while you're here. That's all I can suggest right now because that's all I can do to live well on a day-to-day basis, even in hardship. And with that, I just want to give a special thanks to everyone for listening to this podcast. And don't forget to follow the podcast and turn on activation so you're notified of new episodes.
And I invite all listeners to become a patron through www.patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face. It's a really cool way to support this little podcast like my friend Vladimir just did. He is our newest patron, so welcome Vladimir. Again, the website is patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face. When you join, you get some patron-only content, such as behind-the-scenes content, which includes pictures of me, myself, which can be boring, at least it's boring to me, I see myself every day, but also included is photos of the dog in question that will eat my face, and who doesn't want to meet the puppy who will be doing the eating? Also included is an opportunity to provide your input in future podcasts and to provide ideas and suggestions and to help steer the podcast in a direction to where you want it to go. Our more advanced plan uh, is going to become available very shortly. Well, it's, it's available now, but it's also being expanded to include archaeology with your podcaster. And I am going to have to provide additional information on that in future podcasts as I flesh that out and determine uh, what all is included with that. But I think you will be really happy. And for anyone who is a geek like I am, who loves history like I do, especially Roman history like I do, they will come to love the higher-end contribution on Patreon just to get that benefit. Uh, And again, that's just uh, archaeology with your podcaster. And you won't find anything like that, as far as I'm aware of, on any other interactive journals on the Internet. So again, become a patron. www.patreon.com dot com slash my dog will eat my face and welcome again to Vladimir <laughs>